Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Lead at Work and at Home. Hope you had a great week. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, child psychologist, Dr. Seth Preminger. We discuss many topics on leadership and parenting, including resiliency. And you will also hear the harrowing story of the time I almost got eaten by a wolf. Enjoy the show. Hey, doctor, how are you today? Um, I'm doing well, Mr. Greenberg. How are you? Mr. Greenberg? No, come on, doctor. You don't call me Mr. Greenberg. Well, then don't call me doctor. Okay, that's fair. Hey, I am super excited. The last time we saw each other, I think you visited my camp and you were helping us on a rainy day fold hot dogs in tinfoil. Is that correct? That is 100% correct. And if you remember correctly, I believe that I handed you, I should. I need to make sure this is appropriate. I handed you a Hebrew national because you wanted to make sure you had the best hot dog in the world. That That's true. You in fact did. And I didn't realize they were a sponsor, but maybe they should be now after that great plug. Oh, that's not a bad idea, actually. Is Hebrew? I don't even know where Hebrew National is located. I should I should see. That's interesting. I feel like it's New York, but that's only because you know I feel like everything good food wise comes from <laughs> either there or Chicago, and I know it's not Chicago. Yeah. So my most important question for you is, what did you think about Roy Williams saying goodbye to Tar Hill Nation and the and then Hubert Davis being inserted? Oh man, you are you are starting off with a with a banger. Um, I was devastated as a lifelong Tar Heel fan. I have adored Roy both from afar and from up close now for the last 15 years. He has given me so many truly joyous occasions in my life and even the sad ones he handled with grace and dignity and it was so sad to see him go. I've heard a couple interviews of him since then and he shared that he just didn't feel he was the right man for the job and I just want to say coach he was definitely the right man for the job. Um, That being said I think Hubert Davis I'm so excited. I think a former player, a former NBA star, I think a prominent black uh, man in Chapel Hill is a great thing. He has said all the right things. He has done all the right things. He seems like a absolute, absolutely exemplary gentleman. And I could not be more excited for the Hubert Davis era. Yeah. It should be fun also to see fans back in a stadium after having, you know, vacant stadiums the last year. Awesome. That's going to so be nice. I'm just going to jump in and you and I obviously worked together for a year. You were my quasi psychologist when I would be in between my classes and you would talk me off the ledge sometime um, without having to issue a copay, which I appreciated. But <laughs> you've talked a lot over the year about resiliency. And I know you work in a school setting and you also work in private practice as a clinical psychologist, as well as doing a lot of neuro testing for kids. Can you talk a little bit about trends that you've seen in kids in relationship to resiliency as they maneuver this pandemic? That Yeah, that's something we've talked about for a year and a half now. And that's something kind of I talk about every day. I think the most impressive thing we've seen is that kids are incredibly resilient. Um, Yes, there are struggles. Yes, we've seen increases in anxiety and depression. Yes, we've seen difficulty with families. Yes, we've seen difficulty with a lot of things. But kids have demonstrated so much resiliency naturally that it's really impressive. They're able to adapt to new situations. They're able to adapt to the new way of doing things. I know I was skeptical working at a school to have the kids wear masks every day and be socially distant and still learn. And and they've done incredibly well. Obviously there are a couple uh, outliers and and students who struggle a little bit more, but that's to be expected. And even those students have really risen to the occasion nine and a half times out of 10. And it's really cool to see that kids can adapt to anything. And it's, they kind of look to adults to show them the way. So if the adult in the room is nervous and scared and worried and concerned and, and not sure what to do, well, then kids mirror that. 
But if the adult is confident and consistent and sure of themselves, and kids tend to mirror that too. Um, and that's kind of how we teach resilience is, is kids learn through, through doing and, and through watching. And, and that's as adults, if we can give them that positive guide, they tend to step up really well. Um, yeah. Obviously, obviously we know during the pandemic, everyone's kind of taking a step to the left. So if you were already a little anxious or sad, it, it probably got significantly more, but I think the resilience piece has also got significantly more because we've proven that we've adapted to learn how to do things in a different way. Yeah, I don't know if you saw the article, I think it was last year, we might have even talked about it. New York Times had an article on the word languishing, and it was mm -hmm. just this idea that all of us maybe aren't depressed, maybe we're not thriving, but we're just kind of stuck in the middle. And we're, I thought that was a really good way to think about children in general. Yeah, we definitely talked about that article. I think I talked about it with with you at, at least two or three times um, because it's true. It wasn't a sadness. It wasn't anxiety. It wasn't even a clinical diagnosis. It was just stuck. And I think once we were able to verbalize this is what's happening, it didn't make things easier, but it is nice to verbalize what's happening. And it does give you a sense of acceptance. Uh, in the field, we talk a lot about acceptance and commitment therapy. We don't talk about learned helplessness. That's not lying down and giving up. It's a sense of, well, this is where I am. It's not a great place to be, but it's also temporary. And as long as this pandemic has lasted, it will be eventually temporary um, because it will go away. It just has to at a certain point. Um, so I think that idea of acceptance and the idea of this is temporary and we, we will persevere, we will move through this does demonstrate that collective resilience we all have and that collective resilience that kids have started to show and continue to show. So when I mix the whites and the darks with my laundry and my wife says to me that I need to do something better, is that learned helplessness or is that just being uh, a lazy guy? That's been a lazy guy because I think my wife actually looked at me last week and said, that's still how you wash your clothes. And I said, yeah, I just throw them all together. And she goes, really? And, and then she shook her head, scoffed and walked away. So yeah. yeah. Although this week I learned how to properly fold a towel. My wife was very particular about how to have a trifold in the fold. So I was very proud of myself with that. Uh, I, I still don't know. My wife folds baby clothes and she looks at me every day and says, why am I the woman doing this? And I say, because you're the only one that knows how to do this. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. So when you think about leadership, and I know you work with adults and kids, what do leaders struggle with? in the same regard, in the context, there's a question here somewhere, but what do leaders struggle with in the same way that kids struggle? Because everything can't be rosy all the time. And I think I heard you say a few minutes ago that the teacher has to be confident, but that doesn't happen all the time, does it? No, it's, it's hard. And I think what we as teachers and adults and parents often struggle with is the feeling to know what to do every single moment and every single time. I think we as leaders of children feel the need to always know the answer, always have the answer. But that's not always the case. Confident doesn't mean knowing everything and saying everything is okay all the time, even when it's not. It's okay to be confident and also say, hey, this really sucks right now. This is really hard right now, and that's okay. I think as, as parents and teachers and clinicians, I will often talk to students and parents all the time and say, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I'm not sure what the right course of action is. How do we come up with a plan together? I think as a leader, if you are willing to be not even vulnerable, but honest with those who you lead, 
they tend to follow you even more and respect you even more because they understand what it's like to not have an answer. I think as people who look to leaders, we don't want them to know everything, but we want them to lead confidently and capably. And when they need help, say, hey, how can I help? Or, hey, what can we all do together to make this go even better? A coach, coaches do it well, right? Coaches don't always know the right answer, but the good ones can look at their players and say, hey, what do you all think we should do? And I think parents and teachers are the same thing of saying, hey, guys, I'm not sure what to do in this situation. Let's brainstorm a little bit. Or, or what do we need to do? I, I do it all the time in, in therapy when a student comes to me or parents come to me and say, hey, what do I do? And even if sometimes I do know what to do, I say, well, what do we think we should do? How do we problem solve this together? And then you have the input of everybody. And when everyone's rowing in the right direction and everyone gives the same input and everyone feels, and everyone feels heard, respected, and understood, it tends to go a really long way. Yeah, I really like the way you made the correlation between the teacher and the parent and the leader. And I also liked how you use open-ended questions. I think oftentimes in leadership and parents, you know, the, the kid comes home from school and we say, how was your day? And what's their usual response when you ask a child how their day was? Uh, my child says tow truck um, because, you know, he's not even two yet. But I assume what the question you're asking is fine. Fine, right? And so that does not elicit the ability for the child to think. So I think asking, you know, just like you said, what was the best part of your day? What was the hardest part of your day? And I think by doing that, you're really starting mm -hmm. to build some kind of relationship. And I love the way that you really put it in someone else's lap to have them be part of the of the solving of the issue and not so much me telling you how we should solve the problem. Yeah. And I think that's a really, a really nice thing for kids to learn too, is that you don't always have to know but you can problem solve together. Um, you don't have to do this alone. I think the pandemic has taught us more than anything. You, you don't have to be alone and you're not alone. Yes, yeah, sometimes I think of myself as a parent, as the ultimate micromanager. I was reading an article that 85% of every employee at some point has had a micromanager. And I found myself the other day, I was tired, I was irritable, I didn't get to exercise. So my kid starts biting their nails and I'm a nail biter sometimes. So I'm like, stop biting your nails. And then they start tapping on their legs. Stop doing that. And I found myself literally trying to control every situation that popped up. And it literally took me to say, okay, what is going on here? Take a step back. Can you talk a little bit about what I just shared in the context of how a leader might struggle managing and guiding employees? Yeah, I think it's this, the same the same thing about trying to have all the answers is most leaders are very competent and capable people because you kind of have to be to get that position. And you have done things the right way or you have done things the way you've done things for a long time and you're very comfortable in that way. And it's very easy to say, well, we should all do things this way because it works. But what works for one person doesn't work for everybody. And that includes kids and adults and parents and teachers and everybody. And everyone has a different skill set. So if you're very strong in one area, it doesn't mean everyone is strong in that area. So I think as a leader, it's important to understand where the strengths of your team are and allow everyone to play to your strengths. Just like knowing that your kids need to learn to make mistakes, because if they get through life without ever making a mistake, they can't learn from that mistake and learn that. You can also be adapt. You can also adapt to a situation, and you don't always have to do the right thing the first time. You can also learn through trial and error. You can learn through asking for help. And I think leaders, the best ones, tend to be able to know what their strengths are 
and what other people's strengths are and put them in positions to succeed and not looking over someone's shoulder. I, I have three externs um, every year, not every year, but at least two or three externs every year who do neuropsych testing with me. And I kind of pride myself on putting them in positions to succeed and allowing them to fail in a safe way. I tell them, I'm going to put you in a situation that you might not think you're ready for, but I know that you're ready for it because I want to make sure you can succeed and make sure you're confident, but also make you a little uncomfortable because we learn when we're most uncomfortable and we adapt when we're most uncomfortable. And we realize that it isn't that scary when we're uncomfortable and being uncomfortable isn't bad. But don't you think, Seth, that there's also, though, I totally hear what you're saying, but isn't there also, though, almost an imbalance of power when you're in a job? I mean, the impact of a micromanager or a very dominating boss, you know, stress, emotional strain, worried about job security. And we, all, we can all relate to that because at this point, everyone is trying to figure out what to do with the next stage of their life. I was reading that there were 4.3 million businesses that applied for business licenses over the last 12 months, which is a pretty staggering number. Wow. But the power dynamic, and I've been in situations when you feel just really small. I, I don't know if you if you agree with that, but what do what does an employee do then, or even a child for that matter, when they have that dominating presence in their life? So that's when the learned helplessness does come in. You know, we talked about adapting and we talked about acceptance. That's when learned helplessness does rear its ugly head when someone constantly comes in and tells you what to do and how to do it and overwhelms and inhibits the growth of the individual who's being inhibited tends to say, well, fine, why am I even trying? Why should I do this when it's just gonna be changed or altered or it's not me anyway? And it's really hard to feel like you matter. It's really hard to feel like you're doing something helpful or it's really hard to wanna give that effort when you know it almost doesn't matter because someone's gonna come in and change it or someone's gonna come in and overpower you. It's it's a really hard thing to do to feel like you don't have a say in a place of work. I have so many friends, and I'm sure you do too, who don't like their jobs. And I think that's really hard. I truly love what I do. I'm very, very lucky. I know that. But to have to go somewhere for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, which is, let's be honest, the majority of your week, and really not enjoy it is hard. And especially then if the only the only thing that needs to be fixed is a better communication between leadership and everyone else, it makes everyone want to work hard and do more and up production. You know, we talk about a happy employee is a, you know, leads to more production. Well, it's the same in a family, right? A happy family system leads to a higher producing family system. And if everyone is on the same page and everyone's rolling in the right direction and everyone has a, feels like they're being treated fairly, that's important. Everyone's not equal because there's still leadership and there's still, you know, my, my two-year-old to not have the same say as my wife and I do, but he should still be treated fairly, just like your children should be treated fairly, but they shouldn't have an equal say on, you know, what, where the family trip is or, you know, what house we're moving to or what car we're going to buy or where we invest our money, but at least the sense of, hey, what do I need dinner from tonight? Or, hey, I should treat you with respect and fairness because that's how I want you to treat me. You should be a psychologist, by the way. You ever think about it? Uh, I, I've thought about it. It's just, it sounds like a lot of school. <laughs> well, you're a doctor, though. Yeah, it was a lot of school. Yeah, I don't think. 
I think I could have gotten a PhD I, after taking my undergrad degree after all the years it took me to finish college. But I, I think this endeavor is a really good use of your time, but I still think you'd be a great <laughs> therapist or social worker or someone in the mental health field because the way you view it, and I've listened to your pod, and it is wonderful, well, and I, I think you should you should think about that. Or is this is this the way you do that? Is this the way you, you get people to talk about their feelings and open up and, and in a way without a license? That's a really good question. And if anyone would like to hire me and monetize me, I'm all I'm all ears. It's funny. Are you still running, by the way? Uh, every day. Uh, almost every day. But yeah, so, all the time. I wanted to ask you, and I guess this really goes now into my therapy session with you, because I think we can all relate to what I'm going to share. Graceland Cemetery, you ever run in there? Yes. Beautiful, right? 1.6 yes. mile loop. Yes. So the other day, I am walking with my dog. It's a COVID dog. We like to call her. <laughs> and I'm listening to a walking meditation. So picture eight o'clock in the morning, it's raining, it's cold. Here mm -hmm. I am looking at the most majestic tombstones. If you've never been to Graceland Cemetery, I know it sounds morbid to be in a cemetery, but it is a gorgeous place to just to just be Zen. So I'm walking along this cemetery and my dog starts barking. And I look up and I kid you not, there is a wolf 20 feet from me. Holy cow. My dog's barking at the wolf. I'm trying to do this meditation. And I, my heart starts beating as fast as it humanly can. And I start jetting the other way. And what do you think this wolf does? Starts walking to me. So at this point, I take out my phone because I figure if I'm going to get destroyed by a wolf, I need to catch <laughs> it on camera. And I start ascending to a higher level so the wolf wouldn't get me. While at the same time, cussing out my dog who just wants to play with the wolf. <laughs> so I get home. And I show my wife the video and she's like, dumbass, that's not a wolf. There's no wolves here. That's a coyote. So I kind oh. of, my, my point is what separates, and I guess this is when I think about managers and leaders and mental health and anxiety, what separates someone who struggles with ruminations, anxiety, and what I just described to you, which is a pretty logical fight or flight response to a distress that I thought was going to happen. I think it's practice. We're not taught coping skills. Or excuse me, we're not innately born with coping skills. We all have ways that we cope, but they're not always the most efficient. And I think through trial and error or through practice or through reading or whatever other ways you learn, I think that's how you gain coping skills and gain mindfulness and gain this ability to handle stress. I know personally, I run. I run a lot. I run far. I listen to podcasts. I listen to nothing. I run in the rain. I run in the snow. I run in the cold. Last year, I ran um, when it was negative 15 with the wind chill and it was when it was 99, normally with the heat index of like 105. So I will run in anything um, because it's the way I cope and the way I release and the way I relax. So I think it's just through trial and error and knowing what works for you. I think you and many people, when they see something scary, are like, oh, let me take a picture of this because it's more interesting than running away. Um, coyotes are big, aren't they? I didn't get that. Literally, the coyote was about 20 feet from me, and I kept veering to the right, and I saw its beady little eyes. But the, the irony is I was literally doing a mindful meditation walk, and so here I am trying to be this oh, calm... Goodness stoic being and then all of a sudden i had this 
what I thought was a threat. And then my wife laughed at me. She's like, there's no wolves in the city of Chicago, but there was a coyote. There was a coyote. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture you walking, walking around and seeing a coyote <laughs> and I'm trying to see what I would have done too. And I, I, I think that's a really interesting thing, but yes, to be mindful, obviously it breaks you out of your mindfulness. So what'd you do? Did you, did you continue on with your mindfulness walk or was it kind of like, Oh, I got this far and now I'm going to think about a coyote the rest of the day. Yeah, no, I was literally, I, I should play the video. I was literally cussing out my dog saying, yeah, you are not a big dog. You should not be messing with large animals that could eat you. <laughs> we all could learn that valuable lesson. Yeah, really. It's a, it's a metaphor for life. So as we kind of wrap up our time, I have a few more questions with you. And my, my question, though, is really more the lines of skills, because so much of my podcast and my platform is... Yes, we talk about theory. We discuss different things that we think might be out there and resonate with us. But I want to talk about specific skills. And the one skill I want to talk about is listening. Because we've talked a lot about the role of the micromanager. We've talked about the role of the parent. Can you talk about the impact of active listening and what that might look like in a conflict resolution setting? What did you say? I didn't hear you. Um, sorry, that's... Something I do to my wife all the time. Um, she doesn't find it funny either, so don't, so don't worry. I actually um, thought you wanted me to repeat the question, and I said somewhere there was a question there. I kind of lost sight of what I was going to say. No, that was a perfect question. I love this question, and this is something I talk about with children all the time because we're trying to teach you know, them to be competent, capable humans and creatures, and they're not always good at that. One of the things we do as people is someone starts talking, and in order to relate, in order to share, in order to feel like we're helping the story or the situation, we think of something that can help. And we think of something that can then we that, that we can then relate to the person with. And we want to share our own tidbit and story. And in the process, we forget what the question was, or we realize that we're taking the story in a different or without realizing we take the story in a different direction or on a tangent, and we don't actually engage fully in the conversation because we're always thinking about what we want to say next. And especially that happens in an argument. In any situation, especially arguments, it's very hard to think logically and clearly. When you're emotional, you are not logical. When you're emotional, you're not, you're not always nice and calm and going to say or do the right thing. So when you're in an argument with somebody, especially with someone you love and care about, you don't always take the time to listen of what they're saying. You're going to think of what you want to say next. And the biggest thing, the, one of the worst things you can do is yell back. Because if two people are yelling, then no one's listening. Or if two people are arguing, then likely no one is listening. Nothing's going to be accomplished. You shared your incredible story. I think it was two podcasts ago about the guy at the airport at you know 4.30 in the morning of saying, hey, I'm sorry. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. Let's just, let's just fix this. And that quickly resolved the conflict. And I think... If a lot of us were able to take a step back, take a deep breath and go, hey, let's talk. Let's try to fix this. That makes it a lot easier to solve the conflict than if you're not listening and the other person's not listening and thinking of, we're gonna, of what they're going to say next and we and get it all emotional. If we can say, hey, I'm sorry, or hey, I'm, hey how, do, how do we fix this? Hey, how do we come to conclusion? Things tend to go a lot better. And I, I really like that story that you shared because it it happens daily. It doesn't even happen with 
with situations that's significant at the airport, but it happens with spouses, it happens with friends, it happens with colleagues, it happens with parents and their kids. And if you can calmly say, hey, how do we fix this? Or, hey, let's take a breath. Or, hey, let's let's come back in two minutes and, and talk about this in a second. That goes a really long way and really helps conflict resolution. Yeah, no, I love the let's take a break. I used to use this, I used to call it a bookmark. So my wife and I would have an argument and I would say, can we bookmark that? And you know what happened? She'd get more angry. She's like, bookmark, I don't want to bookmark it right now. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think it's a skill. And I've tried on this podcast to share some skills. I'm going to share one skill that I think is so helpful. It's three words. And when you are talking to someone or you're just stuck, the three words are, tell me more. And I the other day, my kids wanted to outfit their room with LED lights. Why kids want LED lights? Have no idea. But I was concerned <laughs> about the blue light and staying awake. So my son got really angry at me. And of course, I pushed back. Yesterday, we had the same conversation and he started to speak. And I took a step back and I said, you know what, Charlie, tell me more about that. And all of a sudden, the whole conversation completely switched. I was invested in what he was saying. I was validating what he was saying. And I took a really tough situation yesterday and turned it into what I thought was a positive argument or positive discussion. And I think I might let him try the LED lights to kind of see how it works for them. Way to go, Dad. Thank I you. think that's wonderful. And, and we do that in, in therapy all the time about trying to figure out how to best help in a situation. If I don't have all the answers or I don't know all the answers or I want to learn more, hey, tell me more. Hey, that's yeah. really interesting. I, I, want to, I want to know more of why you want to do that or why you think that. And if, if we listened more instead of spoke more or if we listened more instead of assumed more, things tend to go a lot more smoothly. Amen. So I started this tradition with my dad last week. I'm calling this my fast 30. So if you, are you up for a fun little game, doctor, before I, we wrap up? I am. But am I allowed to not answer the question and go on a tangent like your dad did? Oh, that's true. Well, that's what the Greenbergs do. We just kind of go off on a tangent and get lost. But wasn't that pretty cool to hear his story, though? I have to say, I thought that was amazing. I loved it. I, I've gotten I got an opportunity to meet your dad. Actually, the, the, the last time we got to hang out was was in the rain. I think your dad was there or was at the, the time before. And I did get to, to meet the famous Fred of Fred's camp. And it was really cool to chat with him and, and see him because obviously you and I have been friends now for a little more than a year. And we've really gotten deep in all of our conversations. And, and so getting, getting to meet the man you spoke so highly of was, was really, really cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Here's your fast 30. You ready? Yes. Most despised Duke basketball player. Wojo. Ooh, I thought you were going to say Leitner. Best sports I wasn't. I w- I'm younger than you. So oh, I was only seven or eight when Leitner. Fair enough. Best sports movie. Oh, goodness. Miracle. Oh, that's good. Ketchup or mustard on your hot dog? Ketchup. I know. I know. Oh, I know. come on. You can't. I'm not from Chicago. You need to learn the seven ingredients to go in a Chicago hot dog. Okay. I won't judge you. Why <laughs> do you love your job? Um, I, that's a great question. I love my job because I get to do something unique and different every day. I get to have meaningful conversations on a daily basis. I get to hang out with kids and teachers who are possibly the coolest individuals of all time every day. And I just get to kind of be who I am and cause chaos and help and truly impact someone's life every day. And you are awfully good at what you do. And those kids and teachers are really lucky to have you in their corner. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, I really, really appreciate that. Hulk Hogan or Steve Austin? Steve Austin. Stone yeah, Cold I figured you'd say that. 
Would you rather tuna piano or tuna fish? Tuna piano because I dislike tuna fish. Yeah, people don't like tuna fish. And then the last thing is, what quality do you admire most about teachers and educators? Uh, passion. Um, every day to get to work with people who want to do something that's so hard, but but come to it with passion and excitement and joy and just drive is really, really, really cool to see and, and makes me want to do better at my job as well to assist them and to assist the students that we help, which is why, you know, you and I got to know each other and work together so well is because you had the same passion and drive and your passion and drive for this podcast now is the same and is seen and is awesome. And I'm, I'm very honored to get to be a part of it. Well, thank you. So would you like to leave any information for anyone who wants to get a hold of you? Or want me just to be the middleman and take care of that? Um, I'll leave, I'll leave an email. I'll leave an email address actually. Um, an email address is Preminger Psych. That's P-R-E-M-I-N-G-E-R psych at gmail.com. And doctor does great consultations for kids with neuro. So if you need any support, I think he's a great way. Seth, let's do this again. What do you say? I would absolutely love to. All right. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much and have a good rest of the day. Hey, you too. Take care. Okay. See ya. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you're enjoying the show. Please be sure to leave a comment, pass it along to some friends or post on social media. Great way to support me and the show and to my loyal listeners. Are you ready for this? Because I am offering a free 45-minute webinar to your business or company. Perfect for lunch and learn. Perfect for starting a new initiative, focusing on leadership and engagement and conflict resolution. All you have to do is be one of the first five people to email me at mark, M-A-R-K at elevatedleader.com. And I will get back to you. Thanks again for tuning in and have a great week.